And I invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. No surprise there, I'm sure. We look at Luke, chapter 2, and we are going to look at the Christmas story together this morning. Luke, chapter 2. We're going to hone in on verses 8 through 20. Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Well, Merry Christmas. We made it. That's what me and Kendall have been saying all day today. Uh, it's me, Kendall, John was here earlier, and Mark were running around trying to get this all set up. And we we're so thankful that we were able to pull that off. But as we come here, we want to remember what is Christmas all about. That word Christmas really just means Christ Mass, or the Mass, the coming of Christ. That's why we use that word. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's, it's the coming of Jesus. And I want to say today, and what I want to see today, is that Christmas is all about good news. Christmas is the announcement of the good news that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. In fact, even as we read this, we're going to hear angels say, I have good news of great joy. And when they use that term, good news, they actually use the term euangelizo, which is a verb, a Greek verb. And when it gets translated as euangelion, which is the noun, it gets translated as gospel. You see that word gospel. It's all, the, all over the place here. We have it even up on the sign next to me. It's our first pillar. One of the most foundational things that we talk about here is the gospel. And the gospel, really simply put, is the good news that there was a holy God who has created this world and rules it. And he made us to rule in his stead on this world, but we messed that up when we rebelled against him in our sin. And we denied God, we rebelled against him and said, no, we don't want to do things your way, I want to do things my own way. And that's what happened, you can think of Adam and Eve, and they were then separated from that holy God, because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And he separated himself from his people. But then that holy, good, loving, kind God set out on a rescue mission. He set out on a rescue mission as he prepared the way through the nation of Israel and made way for a baby to be born. And that's what we celebrate today. And that baby is Christ the Lord. It is Jesus, who's literally named because he has come to save his people from his, their sin. And that's what we see. That is the good news. And that baby grew up and he lived a perfect life that we could not live and fulfilled all of God's laws in the ways that we could not fulfill them. He died the death that we deserved. And then, through his miraculous might and power, he rose again from the dead and conquered sin and death. So if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone, we can be saved. That's the gospel. That's, that's a common story that we want to tell here over and over and over and over again. And what we see here happening in Luke chapter 2 as shepherds are watching their field by night and angels burst through the sky, they come to announce the beginning of that story. Good news has come. These shepherds are being told, listen, you can be made right with God because of this baby over here in this little town. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about us taking time to celebrate the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. And that is really good news. So with that as our backdrop, Redemption Hill Church, for the first time ever, Merry Christmas. We made it. <laughs> with that, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to read verses 8 
through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a with the angel, a multitude, a heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. With the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see what this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wandered at the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And as the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What a great story that we get to jump into and celebrate. It's it's not only their story, this this is our story. This is a story of when Christ the Lord came. And when he comes, it is so interesting that the people that he decides to come to are these shepherds. And that's who I want to follow through this story today, is that's where we're going to look through. Our sermon points are going to come as we kind of follow these shepherds through this little story. And first we want to see that the shepherds hear the good news. It's interesting that God would choose shepherds to to get this really awesome, miraculous thing. You see, these are blue-collar, gritty kind of guys. Shepherding is, is, it's out, it's at nighttime, there are wild animals out there, and you are literally sitting around live bait, right, with these dumb sheep who are just calling in all of the things that want to come and eat them. And these are the kind of guys who are going to look at those kinds of beasts, these lions, bears, as David would say earlier in the Old Testament, and they go after them. They're the kind of guys who can kill stuff with slings, with rods, these are hard dudes. And not only that, they're night shifters. I used to be a night shifter myself. And let me tell you, the night shift is not exactly a place of sunshine and rainbows. It's literally a place of no sunshine. It's that the nighttime for crying out loud. Or you can't have rainbows. It's a rough environment. If you've ever been in the night shift, you know it takes some grit to work the night shift. It takes some grit to work the night shift and then show up to church the next day. Right, John? Night shifters. They're gritty guys. They're not punks. And when these gritty guys have the glory of the Lord shine around them, they're scared. This is an amazing thing. As the glory of the Lord comes around them, it shines around them, and these gritty, hardcore dudes, they get scared. And what's so interesting about that is God is going to use these guys to be the guys that go tell all these people, and their testimony, because of their reputation, because of who they are, because they're rough, because they're isolated, they're not like everybody else, they don't smell very good, they're around a bunch of sheep all the time, they would not have been allowed to testify in court. Other Jewish writings at the time would say that shepherds were people who did the, the job of robbers. That was known that when people would travel at night, these shepherds would maybe go and take advantage of these people. They would steal from them. That's, that's the kind of people that they were known to be. And when God shows up and wants to make this amazing announcement, he picks those guys. He picks these guys that nobody else would pick. 
And he comes and they hear this amazing good news. And picking up there in verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So they come and they announce this good news. Listen, the Messiah has come, the Christ has come, and we find out three really important things right there about Jesus in that announcement. One is that he is born in the city of David. We know from other books there that that Jesus has a right to the Davidic throne. He is a descendant of David, which gives him the right to be the king of Israel, that Jesus is the true king. This is announcement of a new and better king. That word that I was telling you about, that Greek word, was often used to announce the, the reign of a new Caesar. They would say, there's a new king, a new Caesar has come. Good news, good news, and these heralds would come. But these heralds, these angels are saying, no, 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 no. There, the real king has come. The true king has come and he has come to rule the world and he is different and he's better than the kings that you have. He is better and greater than Caesar. The next thing you see is that he is the savior. He's come to save his people from their sins. We know from the book of Matthew in our sermon uh, not just a couple weeks ago that, that that name means Yahweh saves, that God saves. And it says that he will come to save his people, but not the way that they thought. They thought Jesus was going to come and kick out the Romans and take out all the other rulers. But Jesus came and he said, no, 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 I've come to save you from yourself. I've come to save you from your sin and the sins of this world. I'm coming to make everything right and good. And it's going to be different. He is the Savior, and finally, he who is Christ the Lord. Typically, in a Greek construction, the, the Christ, the Messiah, in, in Hebrew, it, it's really normal. There, there could be other Messiahs, like David gets called the Messiah in the Old Testament. Messiah just means an anointed person, an anointed kind of Davidic king. But that is, but in Greek, when you would say that, you would say the Messiah of the Lord. Right? Like if they were just talking about another human, they would say, yeah, Christ of the Lord. But that's not what Luke says here. Luke is really intentional in his language. Luke says, he is Christ the Lord. That Jesus is fully man, fully God. That he's different than anybody else and he's different than any other thing that we have ever seen happen. And they continue going and they say, give them a sign and it's a super ordinary, normal sign. You'll go and you'll find this baby wrapped in swallowing claws and lying in a manger. Of course babies are going to be wrapped in swallowing claws. Like we still swaddle babies today, right? That, it's not an abnormal thing and it's not like, and you're going to go to the palace and he's going to be up there and all these people are going to be worshiping. No, you're going to go where there's no room in this guest room. There's no room in this inn and he's going to be laying down in a manger in a cattle trough like he, he's not going to be impressive. Like, you wouldn't look at that and think, that's the sign, that's it. But that's the sign that these angels give. That's the sign. You're going to go and you're going to see him. He's lapped in the manger. And then something amazing happens, as if they weren't afraid enough before, as the glory of the Lord shone around. Remember, in this part of the story, there's one angel, there's just one, telling them this, and they're scared. And then it says, and then suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, a little more helpful translation for us might be an army of angels. An army of angels came praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. 
as we, as we think about that, I think a lot of times we think of angels, they're like wearing dresses and they've got these little halos and they're like all cutesy. And we just think like they're maybe like sitting there like a choir, like, ah, Jesus has come. A better thing, I think it would help you. I want you to imagine that there is an army and there's an army of men and they're all chanting, glory to God in the highest, all together. If you've ever seen any kind of like Marines get together and they say, hoorah, right? And it's loud and it is deep and it is powerful and it's scary. And they're declaring that, this army of angels to these shepherds, these blue collar guys, they're making clear, listen, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, but with those whom he is well pleased. This is somewhere where our modern translations do a really good job. A lot of us probably have memory of the peace on earth and goodwill toward men. If we were to translate this really, 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 really woodenly, it would say uh, something kind of like uh, peace on earth uh, to those whom God has goodwill. Right? That's hard to kind of understand. So we smooth it out and say peace on earth to those whom God is well pleased. See, when he comes and he announces peace, it's not just this general peace. General peace for everybody. It's peace with those whom God is well pleased. If God is pleased with you, this army of angels is saying, peace. And it's, and it's ironic. You have an army declaring peace, right? That's not what armies do. Armies declare war. They don't declare peace. And they're coming out and they're declaring peace, but they're declaring peace to a specific group of people, those whom God is well pleased. See, God is a holy and righteous God. And he's a loving God. And if you can get this in your mind of what these shepherds are experiencing, they were going to ask a really important question in that moment as an angel army declared to them the glory of God and that peace is for those who God is pleased in. They would say, is God pleased with me? Is God pleased with me? Because if not, this angel army is probably declaring something else to me. He's not declaring peace, but the righteous wrath of God. And that's what we have to ask today. I have to ask that. You have to ask that. Is God pleased with you? Now, what's really interesting for us is we look at that, and a lot of times we think there's some cosmic scale, or even just to bring it into the season a little bit, you might think, am I on the naughty or nice list of God? Because, man, if I'm on the naughty list, if I'm on God's naughty list, uh, I'm not just getting coal. I'm getting something a lot worse. And we've got to ask that question. What does it look like to not be on there? And what I want you to know is there's good news for you. God doesn't have a naughty or nice list. God has the book of life the end of the Bible and the book of Revelation, it tells us that everyone will stand before God to be judged. And it tells us those whose names were written in the book of life, they are the ones who are judged just by that one book. They are judged purely by is your name in the book of life. And if you are, what happens is Jesus stands in and says, they're in me. My righteousness is their righteousness. And God looks at those people, and that's whom God is well pleased. He says, come and enter into my rest. But what the book of Revelation tells us about everyone else, if your name is not found in the book of life, there is this other series of books, is what John, in his revelation, calls it. 
And he tells them that they are, all of their deeds are recorded, and that they are then judged according to their own deeds. And nobody's going to measure up. The only way we measure up is if our name is in that book of life. And our name gets in that book of life through faith and trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. See, there's no cosmic naughty or nice list. There's just one book you want to be in, the book of life. And I think there's a passage, it's, you might not think of it as a Christmas passage, but this is a Christmas passage in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I just want to read that because I think it makes it so clear of what it looks like to be made right with God and to be at peace with God. And we all have to ask, am I at peace with God? Is God pleased with me today? And it says, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's when I shared the gospel earlier. That's the first part. He's the king. He is preeminent, meaning he is above and before everything. He's in charge. He's the one who is there. And he is the head of the body of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. But listen, because here's where it gets Christmassy. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You know who God is pleased with? God is pleased with Jesus. He is pleased to dwell in Jesus in all his fullness, all his attributes, all his character, all his power, and all of his might. He has pleasure in dwelling in Christ. And through him to reconcile or to make peace to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's me, that's you, all of us were separated from God because of our sin. Listen to the good news. This is the Christmas story. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel or the good news that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, whether it's proclaimed by men like Paul or by angels from above that burst in and talk to these shepherds, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the Christmas story that Christ has come to be our Savior, King. And he's calling you to join in with those angels and to declare his glory and his goodness, the glory to God in the highest. You get to join and be a part of that army that is declaring peace to the earth with everyone whom God has pleased. And you have the answer. You know what pleases God. The only thing that can please God is that you be found in Christ. So is God pleased with you? Yeah, he is. But not because of your own merit but what Jesus has done. So you wake up on Christmas morning and you celebrate giving gifts to your your kids and your family and your friends. We get to look and we get to celebrate and we get to proclaim this is all about good news. When those angels army, when they were singing, they were singing about me and the glory that God would have in my life and in your life because God is pleased with you because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. 
It is so important that we answer that question or else Christmas is not a very good news story at all. Is God pleased with you? And if the answer is yes, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, we get to join in in that chorus. Proclaim the good news of Jesus just like these shepherds. The next couple verses, that's what we're going to see. The shepherds go and they proclaim this good news. In verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made it known that the, say, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. These shepherds do what any right-minded person would do in this crazy situation. They would say, well, let's go looking for that sign. Let's go check that out. I want to see if this is real. And they go, and what do they find? Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. They find it just to be as the angel said. And even when they see it, what's amazing about these shepherds, when they come into the encounter of the glory of God, they recognize that this is not just the word of angels. What do they say there? Let's go and see the word of the Lord. They recognize this is directly from God himself. He has given us this message and we're going to go and we're going to say, we're going to take this to the bank. And they go and they start declaring this really, really good news. And what's so awesome is these shepherds go from a place of great fear, right? They were terrified. The angel says, fear not for I have good news of great joy. And that's what they do. They move from a place of great fear into a place of great, great joy. We talk about this and we look, and I think the obvi- you know, application is probably getting a little obvious. What is Josh going to encourage us to do? Go share the good news. Go be like these shepherds. You know what keeps people from sharing the gospel? Fear. As a pastor, as someone who's done a lot of evangelism training, who's taken teams out, who's taught them how to do it over and over again, you know the number one thing, the number one thing that keeps people from sharing the gospel is Fear. And I believe we look at this passage, there are things that we can see and behold that will move us from a place of great fear to a place of great joy, of people who want to share the gospel, who are excited to share the gospel. So the reality is, is people are afraid, and they're usually afraid of one of three things. They're afraid of their own past. I mean, I can't tell these people about Jesus. Why? Because I used to run with them. They know every bad thing about me. They know everything that I've ever done. They're there in my most and worst and embarrassing moments. I cannot tell these people that I'm a Christian. I'll look like a total hypocrite. Man, Jesus went to shepherds who couldn't even testify in court and he sent them off to go and share the gospel. And that's what they do. When they have a true encounter with God, they see him and they say, who cares about my reputation? Look at his reputation. It's not about me, it's about him. And they find freedom and they go and they move from a place of fear into great joy. People are afraid that they don't have enough knowledge If I start sharing the gospel, man, if I start doing that, they're going to ask me questions and I'm not going to know the answer. These guys had like an hour, you know? It's like on the walk there, they've got like, I don't know what's going on. I I just know these, they told me that he was the Savior, Christ the Lord. There he is, laying in the manger, just like they said. That's all I know, and I'm just telling you what I know. And that's what God is calling you to. He's just calling you, tell them what you know. If you are a Christian, you can do this, because if you are a Christian, you know the bare essentials. You don't need to have a master's degree in theology. Like, who cares? That's not what God has used to change the world. God is just asking you to be a witness to the things that you know. You know what else I find that people are really 
really afraid of. Not of their past, not of their knowledge. They're just afraid of rejection. And if I tell them about Jesus, they'll reject me. They'll disown me. They won't love me anymore. That'll happen. Well, one, maybe not. We see in this passage that the shepherds told them and the people wondered. The shepherds were filled with awe and wonder and through them, awe and wonder of God and the worship of God spreads to other people. One, you don't know what God is going to do. And two, God is pleased with you if you are in Christ. It means he accepts you and he loves you. And he has promised to bless you beyond this or the things that you leave of this world. If you lose your family, God has a new family for you. That's what the church is for. It's going to embrace you and love you. You lose a father, he's your heavenly father. You lose a mother, he's going to provide you with lots of spiritual moms and dads. That's what he promises to do. That's what the church does. And now church, as I say that, when that happens, there will be people who come to know Jesus. They will go and share the gospel and they will get rejected. It is our responsibility to them to embrace them and bring them in. That's what we have to do. That's what God is calling us to do. The fear of rejection comes and it's real. And people get rejected for the gospel. It does happen. What Jesus is saying is that he's worth it and that he's gonna bless you with all the things that you lose. In particular, those relationships. He's saying, I've got a network of relationships for you that are gonna be deeper than blood ever was. And that's what it means to be a part of the family of God. See, we can be people who move from great fear into great joy. Because what I want to tell you is this, is you were literally created for this. You were made to be a news sharer. God made you to do this. Facebook started out as an idea by a guy named Mark Zuckerberg at Harvard. It was only for college students, only for Harvard for a little bit. These days, Facebook boasts 2.9 billion monthly users. Get this. That means 35.6% of the world's population uses Facebook on a monthly basis. That's crazy. That is jaw-dropping. What does Facebook call the way that we all interact with each other? It's your news feed. Why are they successful Why are they doing so well? Why is everyone, regardless of culture, I mean, it's cross-cultural, it's in the East, it's it's all over the place, it's just going nuts in multiple languages. Why? Facebook has tapped into a reality of your image-bearingness of God. Facebook has tapped into the reality that you are a worshiper, that you were created and made to tell people about the things that excite you, the things that make you sad, the things that make you angry, the things that make you happy. You're made to do it. God made you to share news. And Facebook took off because it gave us a way to do that. Everybody knows what's going on with your kids. Everybody knows what kind of food you eat. Everybody knows, right? They know everything about you because you post it. Why do you post it? Why do you have this longing to get those likes, to get that? Why? You're made for it. You're literally made to do this. You are made to share news. And these shepherds are made to share news too. And when they see the good news of Jesus, when the angels burst through the sky and tell them this, they immediately say, we have got to go check this out. We've got to go see it. And when they see that it is the way that God said it is, they start telling everybody, you've got to check this out. These angels, they came, look, and look, there they are. They're exactly like they said. 
And that's what evangelism is. It's not having all the answers. It's not worrying about what people are going to think about you and your past. It's not worrying about whether they'll reject it or accept it. Evangelism is simply telling people really, really good news. You were made to do this. God made you to do this. You can do this. Now my goal, I know when we talk about evangelism a lot, for a lot of us and for me for a very long time in my Christian life, this was a conversation topic that filled me with a tremendous amount of guilt. A tremendous amount of guilt. My goal is not to make you feel guilty the day after Christmas. Because believe it or not, guilt is not going to help you. The law is weak when it comes to change. The law does not change us. The grace of God changes us. When it comes to lifelong change, God's grace is the only thing that'll change you. If you're looking at your life and you say, man, I just don't share the gospel very much. Can I just ask you this question instead? Are you happy in Jesus? Because you go to a nice restaurant and I hear about it. OSU gets a new defensive coordinator. I've heard about it. I'm happy to hear about those things. I want to hear about I like good food and I like OSU football. But nobody here has ever had a problem sharing good news. Ever. We always do it. Are you happy in Jesus? I'm convinced there's a direct correlation in our sharing of the gospel and the impact the gospel is having in our personal lives. God starts changing you. He starts changing your heart. He, you, you start living in ways that God just, I mean, it's just like awesome. You feel his presence, his goodness, and you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself but telling that coworker, man, you got to come to my church. It's awesome. We are just, we are seeing people coming to Christ. We, it, is, it is amazing. God is changing me. You've got to come check this out. You've got to come check this out. That's, that's what evangelism is. For many of us, I think when we're low on the evangelism part of life, it's because the gospel just isn't really changing us very much. See, sharing your faith is just another act of worship. It's just another way that you ascribe value to who God is. You're just telling people, you've got to come see this. You've got to come experience this. It's an amazing thing. And worship, you see, is the natural response to those who have seen and experienced the Lord. Let's look at our last couple verses together as the shepherds worship the God of good news. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. It's so interesting as Mary is, is, is kind of these contrasting things. Mary, who has carried the Lord in her body and now sees him, is the one that's a little bit hesitant. And these shepherds are going around proclaiming the gospel. So as we look at Mary treasuring up these things and pondering them in her heart, it seems like she's, she's a little bit overwhelmed, as any young girl would be after all this stuff. We're not just talking about these shepherds coming to her, the things that she's treasuring up in her heart. We're talking about everything that's happened in the first couple of chapters of Luke. Her cousin gets pregnant after she couldn't get pregnant, you know, after she couldn't get pregnant for years. An angel shows up to her and says like, hey, you're going to get pregnant. She's like, uh, I can't. I've never been with a guy. And he's like, nope. Holy Spirit's going to come over you. And she's like, okay, right. I guess that's, that's what you want, God. Okay, right. Like this girl has been through the ringer. I think we can all say a star at some point is going to come and like rest over them. So these wise men, like, I don't know what you do with that. You're trying to get a baby to sleep. I don't know. Um, you know like, like this is the things that there's going on in her life. 
And she is treasuring them and pondering them up. And the same kind of language is actually used at the end of Luke uh, to when Jesus, if you remember when he's a young boy, he sneaks away from his parents. They go to celebrate the Passover. And I shouldn't say he sneaks away from his parents, but he goes and he, he goes to the temple. And he is studying at the temple with these, these other workers of the law. And his family kind of leaves without him because they think he's with the traveling party and they realize that they're not. And it's like, a, it's like home alone all over. Like, where's Kevin? Right? Where's Jesus? That's what they're saying. Like, where's he at? And Mary goes and she says what any mom says when the kid wanders away, no matter whose fault it is. Why would you do this to me? Right? Don't you know the distress you put me and your father through? Why would you do this, Jesus? And Jesus says, don't you know? Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This, I'm supposed to be in my father's house. And then Luke 2.51, or we can start in verse 49. He said, and he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And listen to what it says. And his mother treasured up these things in her heart. So we can kind of see the comparative language there. I think Mary is confused She's like, what in the world is going on with this, this baby? These people are just coming out of, these shepherds are just coming. I mean, these aren't the guys that you want come and like visit your baby, right? They're, they're rough guys. And they're like, listen, this, these angels told us about your baby. And she's treasuring, she's pondering with her heart. And I think she's overwhelmed and she's worried or she doesn't really have it all figured out. We even see John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, look, the one, the Lamb of God who's coming to take away the sins of the world. I mean, he is, this is the one that I've been telling you about. This is all the things. But then in Luke 7, we get these messengers sent to Jesus from John the Baptist and they say, hey, are you really who you said you're supposed to be? Because John knows, like, I'm imprisoned and I'm fixing to get killed and I just want to make sure before this goes down, like, you're the guy, right? The point that I'm just trying to draw out of this is if Mary and John the Baptist can have moments of doubt in their life where they've just got to go to the Lord and say, are you sure? You sure this is who you said you were? You're going to have those moments too. See, what I don't want to do is we don't want to paint this picture of like, if you're a real Christian, you'll be a great evangelist all the time and you'll never struggle with doubt and fear. You're going to struggle with doubt and fear. Mary and, Joseph, or Mary and John are struggling with doubt and fear. But you know what they do is they ponder it. They consider it. They think about it. And John goes to the Lord about his doubts and his fears. And that's what I would say is what we have to do with our doubts and fears. It's not wrong to have them. It's not wrong to struggle. But the question is, where are you going in your struggle? Are you going to the Lord? Because when you do, I think he's going to answer you. And then you can be like these shepherds who returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The reality is these guys come and they are worshiping God. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it tells us, Paul talks about worship. A lot of times we think about worship and we just think like it's singing on Sunday mornings. And I love singing, but that's not all that worship is. Listen to what Paul tells us in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We worship any time we do the will of God. I love that term, living sacrifice. It's a, 
It's an oxymoron, you know, like jumbo shrimp. You can't be a living sacrifice. Sacrifices die. That's how that works. You can't do that, right? But that's what he's saying. He's, he's, he's giving that, that turn of phrase because he's trying to catch your mind there. Like you're going to be a living sacrifice. That's what God is calling you to be. Continually sacrificing yourself, sacrificing those fears that hold you back to do what God is calling you to do instead. And as you do that, you're not being conformed to the world and giving into the things of the world, but you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind as you dive into more of who God is. And as you understand more and more what the will of God is, you will do the things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. That's worship. Worship is doing the things that God desires you to do. So worship is showing up here and setting up pipe and drape and singing some songs. But worship is also going to be loving your kids this afternoon, telling them about Jesus, praying for them. Worship is going to be going out to another family gathering as you're dragging yourself and doing it without complaining or disputing so that you might shine as lights in the world, right? That's worship. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it with, as we see in my father, you do that with a smile on your face and joy in your heart which usually meant you're being grumpy and you need to stop. But that's what we see. Those things are worship. That's, that's what we do, and it's hard. That's the hard part. To be honest, it's easy to show up here and sing. What God is calling us to do is different. And that's what it looks like to worship God, and that's what it looks like to be a bearer of good news, and that's what the good news does. I want to close with this. The reality is, is the next time we meet, it'll be next year. I get to use that joke once a year. I'm going to do it. It'll be next year, the next time that we meet here on a Sunday morning. And in between that time, some of you may make some New Year's resolutions. I know there's a lot of people who give New Year's resolutions a bad name. I say any help, any help the culture or time of year can give you to reset, repent, and be more like God, take it, right? You want to restart that Bible reading plan? Do it. You want to start working out to the glory of God? Do it. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. As you look at your life and maybe you contemplate those things and then the end of the year gives you that chance to reset, to think about this past year, to thank God for all that he's done in you and through you. Man, we have had one crazy year at the Rosentrader house. And all that the Lord is doing, that you would do that, give thanks, and ask this question, how can I be more fruitful for Christ this year? Well, that's exhibiting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm singing the children's song in my head. Or what it might look like to share your testimony with that coworker that you've been afraid of. Tell that family member that you don't know very well. Make peace to that person that you've had difficulty with. Commit to being a more faithful and honorable husband or father or wife or mother. Whatever that looks like, what I would question in your resolutions is not the resolutions themselves, but the motivations for them. Do we long to bring glory to God? To be worshipers and bearers of his good news? Are we just longing to make life a little easier for ourselves? I want to be a little more fit because that would make me feel better about myself, so I'll do that instead. Or do we want to say, you know, I want, I want to be useful to the Lord for a long time. And to do that, my heart has to beat well. So I'm going to go and take care of myself. It's not bad to do those things by any means, but the motivations is what matters. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. Today is our last sermon in this particular series, The Familiar Yet Forgotten. We talked about a virgin birth. 
and why it's so important that Jesus is born of a virgin and why we can't just dismiss a doctrine that we think is hard to believe, but we have to fully embrace that God does the impossible in our lives and that he is the God who has come to save us from sin. We talked about that he is the king that will be worshipped no matter what. And that means he has to pull over astrologers from the east to travel across the world because his own people refuse to worship him. He will do that in those wise men. That he is the God who will be worshipped and nothing will stop us. Last week we talked about that he is the God who came to bring us grace because in his fullness was grace upon grace. As God dwells within him, he shows us the very heart of God and who he is. Today we get to see that we get to proclaim good news because that's what Christmas is really all about. So for those of you struggling with the post-Christmas blues, you've been looking forward to the day, you've been excited, and now it's here and it's the day after Christmas. I got a good news for you. For the Christian, every day is Christmas. I don't mean that to sound cheesy. I don't mean to sound anything. But if Christmas is about the good news that Jesus came to save sinners, December 26th is just about that good news in the same way as December 25th. 2022 will be about declaring that good news to this world just like 2021 and every year before it. We don't have to wallow in post-Christmas blues And the disappointments of, it's over? It's a hard thing. As a kid, I remember that. So I was just looking forward to it. And it was great, and now it's done. But it's not done. It continues to go on. And we get to proclaim this good news day after day after day. And that's what we get to do. With that, let's pray. Dear Father God, we love you. We thank you for all the good things that you've given us, your grace and mercy towards us. God, I thank you for Christmas. I thank you for the holiday season as just another thing. It's just a a cultural advantage that we have as people in the West, that we get to celebrate a day that is about Jesus. And even as the culture maybe tries to change that, we can still take every advantage that you give us to celebrate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you came to save sinners like us. We thank you and we ask this all in your name. Amen.